worship as the other campuses. And uh, those of you online join us, why don't you uh, bow with me and let's pray. Father, thank you for that profound time of worship here and at our other campuses. Thank you that we can lift up our voices to you and hopefully uh, focus our minds and soften our hearts before you. Because Lord, you know we have quite a bit of work to do as we now look at your word. So I pray, God, that as we turn to this amazing chapter in the Gospel of John, John 18, and park in front of it for a few weeks, that God, you might speak to us about our Savior Jesus and all that he went through on this earth, and then, Lord, our own lives as well today, and what we can learn and glean and even apply to our situation. So God, meet us in this time in, our, in the word as you have in, in our worship. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen. So it was mentioned earlier, but we are starting a new series today called When Relationships Fall Apart. When Relationships Fall Apart. And here's the deal. Uh, there is most likely not one of us here today, uh, not one person at Cactus or Northridge or our chapel or watching online or here in this room or in our overflow who does not have a story or two of a meaningful relationship that has fallen apart. It might be a spouse, it might be a kid, it might be an extended family member, it might be a childhood friend, it might even be a fellow church member, but most of us have a story or two of a once dear and precious relationship that has blown up and fallen apart. And the confounded thing about it, and you and I both know this, is that we didn't go looking for this to happen and we certainly didn't expect it to happen. I mean, I thought about it this week. Nobody stands in the altar and thinks, well, this thing is doomed, right? Nobody uh, says their vows and says, I give it about a year and, and then it's all gonna fall apart. Nobody has children and says, I can't wait for them to become adults and feel alienated from them. Nobody looks for things like that. Nobody enters into a deep friendship looking for it to go south. Nobody joins a small group at church looking to get hurt. We don't go looking for relationships to fall apart. We certainly don't expect them to, but nevertheless... It happens. Relationships have a tendency to fall apart. And so the questions that we're going to ask and answer in this series is why? Why do relationships at times fall apart? What happens when they do? And though the answer is complex, I mean, there's a myriad of reasons that relationships struggle. Sometimes it's your fault. <laughs> Sometimes it's the other person's fault. Sometimes it's a, a hybrid. Jesus comes along and gives us some clues. Because here's what you're gonna learn in this series, and you're gonna like this. We're gonna watch the perfect, never sinning son of God who became a human being and walked this earth for 33 years rubbing shoulders with all kinds of people, from his 12 disciples to normal people out there to religious leaders to cultural leaders. I mean, Jesus ran the gamut for three years. We're gonna watch this Jesus who again is the perfect son of God, have relationships that fall apart. And how and where they fell apart for him are gonna help you and I in our own world today know what to do when catastrophe hits in our lives. 
And so as we plumb the depths of just one chapter over the next four weeks, John chapter 18, we're going to take a look at no less than four key things that can sabotage our most precious relationships. Things like betrayal and denial and judging. Ever felt judged by somebody? We're going to look at things like that and how they happen to Jesus and what we can learn for our own lives as well. And we begin today with probably the most brutal culprit to ever come along to cause a relationship to fall apart. It's betrayal, betrayal. So let's read about it in the opening salvo of John chapter 18. And this will get us going into the deep end of our discussion about this idea of betrayal. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, pause, pause right there, what words? Context is important. Well, we did a series last year on John chapter 17, which is Jesus's beautiful high priestly prayer. And then we did a series a couple years ago on John 14 through 16, which is Jesus's teaching in the upper room. So it's some of the richest teaching, one of the most beautiful prayers Jesus has ever prayed in the last week of his life. That's the context. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth from the upper room with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron where there was a garden. We know it's the garden of Gethsemane because Matthew and Mark tell us this in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also who was betraying him knew the place for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and of the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So most of us know this guy named Judas. Even a lot of unchurched people know that there was this guy named Judas who betrayed Jesus. He was one of the original 12 disciples who were Jesus' closest followers while he was on this earth. And we also know that Judas was the one who would betray Jesus. He was the one who struck the deal with the religious leaders who were threatened by Jesus and his claim to be the Messiah. And so Judas agreed to turn Jesus over to them for 30 pieces of silver, which he eventually did here in John 18. And so Judas has now left the Last Supper to meet with the religious leaders and look for an opportunity to hand Jesus over, and that time is now. And so Judas and these religious leaders and this Roman cohort all of a sudden assemble in the garden and the simple idea is for Judas to identify Jesus. The other gospel writers tell us he did it with a kiss and then hand him over to the Roman authorities as well as to the Jewish leaders. And the question that many Bible experts wrestle with, and they've been wrestling with this for 2,000 years now, is why did Judas betray Jesus? I mean, he was one of Jesus' closest followers. He was with him for three years. Why did he do this? And the answer is not easy, nor is it clear. Luke tells us in his gospel that Satan entered Judas, so there's obviously an evil motive at play. The gospel writers insinuate that greed was a motive, hence the 30 pieces of silver. Obviously, we know Judas was conflicted. He, didn't really, he doubted Jesus and who he really was, but then he felt overwhelming guilt for what he did and would eventually take his own life. 
And then there was even predicted prophecy. The Old Testament predicted that this son of perdition, this son of destruction would come. And Jesus even reinforced that, that, that somebody would come to betray Jesus. And that's really the point, whether we know why Judas did this or not, here's what we do know. And it's the first consequence of Judas's action toward Jesus that this account reveals. And it's this, that it's all about betrayal. That's the operative word that we'll see in a minute here. And that you and I know betrayal hurts. And the reason is, is because betrayal by its very nature is an act of rejection and unfaithfulness. Betrayal hurts. It's an act of rejection and unfaithfulness. You see, folks, even more than denial, which Kevin's going to walk us through next week as we continue on in this series, and even more than being unfairly judged, which I'm going to walk us through for two weeks in a couple of weeks here as we make our way through this chapter, betrayal is probably the most powerful relationship saboteur when you understand what it really is. Let me explain uh, the Greek word for betrayal that's used twice here, once in verse 2 and then also in verse 5, literally means to, to hand over. It carries with it the idea that you take something from someone, something that's precious to them or even their very selves, and you turn your back on them and hand it over to someone else. It's going to be very important that we see that that's what betrayal is from a biblical perspective because it's going to apply to our lives here in a minute. But that's precisely what was happening with Jesus and Judas here. Judas was going up to Jesus, gave him a kiss, and then he handed him over as he turned toward the religious leaders and toward the Roman authorities. That's what betrayal is. It's to turn back and to turn over. Denial that we're going to look at more next week is simply a cowardly disassociation. So if I say you know, by my friend here, you know, that I'm going to deny knowing you, that's bad enough, but that's just a cowardly disassociation. We're going to talk about that next week. Judging that we're going to look at in a couple of weeks is an opinion or a conclusion or a decision that you pronounce upon someone else's character. And again, that's damaging enough. But betrayal, this turning back and turning over is in a whole other category, which is why when we experience it, when Jesus experienced it, it hurts so deeply. Even though Jesus knew that this was coming, we'll see more about that in a minute, it still hurt. Why? Because betrayal works this way. It's a powerful rejection of who you are. It's an unfaithfulness as it turns its back on you and then hands over something or even your very self to another person. That's betrayal. Now, I was thinking this week, and you just got to go with me in my thinking here because I, I think this will help us today. Um, most of us are tempted to do a drive-by right now at this point where we're understanding what betrayal is and say, well, I mean, it's terrible what happened to Jesus, but, you know, it's our part of God's plan, and, and I don't ever really get betrayed like that today, so what's next? That's what we're tempted to do. I would encourage us not to do that because though it is true that the vast, well, every one of you here and watching online and from other campuses have not experienced betrayal like Jesus did, why do we know that's true? 
because you'd be dead if you experienced the kind of betrayal Jesus did, and you wouldn't be here talking to me about betrayal, so none of us have experienced betrayal like that. I would submit to you that we have experienced betrayal in our lives. I, I would submit to you that we have. That when you understand that betrayal is, is this taking something from you, a, a precious trust, and, and turning their back on and handing it over to someone else, that when you understand that definition, you and I can relate, many of us, to feeling betrayed. Hey, let me give you a couple of examples. And this first one's gonna hit you hard. I, I'm just telling you. In fact, this is probably the only thing you're gonna remember out of today's message because that's what everybody else in the last service said. The first example I wanna give you of betrayal today is gossip, is gossip. Gossip is defined as this, and you're gonna see how it fits the definition of betrayal. Gossip is defined as revealing personal facts and or rumors about another with others. Let me repeat that. You all have experienced this. Gossip is revealing personal facts, so it might be something true, or rumors, something that's not true, about you to somebody else. That's what gossip is. It's simply taking what is personal and private about a person, and this is where the definition of betrayal comes in, taking that, turning their back on that person and handing it, giving it over to another. That's what gossip is. And this is why I've said for years that the three most dangerous words within church today are, did you hear? Because I would ask you, does anything good come out of anybody's mouth when they begin a sentence, did you hear? So my good friend Brian is in the second row here. If I say to Susan, hey Susan, did you hear about Brian? I, mean, I don't want to gossip, but I, I heard. And, and, and let me tell you, is that conversation going to anything edifying at that moment, yes or no? No, we all want to know what it is because <laughs> we're sinful and wretched at their core. But, but the reality is it's probably none of our business. Uh, Brian doesn't want me sharing whatever that is. If he shared it with me in confidence, whether it's true or not. And in this case, it's none of this person's business. But that's what gossip is. And that's why it's such a profound act of betrayal. And what you need to know is that this is not Jamie's opinion. This is the Bible that says it over and over and over again. Let me show you rather briefly here. In Proverbs 16, verse 28, it says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Don't you love that image? So when I whisper about my friend Brian to you, what am I doing there? I'm saying, did you hear? And it's destroying that relationship in that moment. Proverbs go on to say this in 2019, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. Or I like this one more positive. The Proverbs says, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Isn't that such a beautiful image there? We have a saying around here on our elder team that we want to submit to each other's strengths, and that's what we do as elders, but then protect each other's weaknesses. 
So that if we find a vulnerability in another elder, we want to rally around that elder and, and provide a, a covering there. Why? Because the opposite of that would be to gossip and to backbite. And, and that's just not good for God's leaders or God's people. And then how about this, Ephesians 4, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up as it fits the occasion, here it is, that it may give grace to those who hear. That's why I say, when people begin a sentence with, did you hear, there's probably not a good chance that grace is gonna come out of their mouths next. And yet that's exactly what the scriptures call you and me to do. I haven't even gotten to the good stuff yet. Did you know that gossip appears a number of times in the New Testament in a listing of the sins of the flesh? Wow! And you're like, what are sins of the flesh? Well, things like sexual sin and, and, and factions and, and, and things like that. There's all these nasty things. And then right in the midst of that, it says, and gossip. I've always marveled at that. It's like, what are the New Testament writers being kind of hard on us? I mean, gossip, that feels kind of benign. Not according to God. Why? Because gossip damages relationships. And all of you have experienced this either in being the one gossiped about or the gossiper. And you tell me, does it hurt or not? It does. And again, I'm not gonna you know, tell you a bunch of stories about my life and how people have gossiped about me, but just suffice it to say, people do like to talk about the pastor. Do y'all understand that? They do. And there have been so many sentences begun with those wonderful three words, did you hear, when it comes to the pastor. I, I, I mean, again, and I could just, you just laugh at all the things that have happened over the years. And many of them are benign. I just don't care. I can remember when I, I first moved here, again, in 2007, I was, you know, brand new here. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. And and somehow a rumor started in the church that Jamie was demanding a bathroom in his office, which I didn't have, because he had problems. <laughs> and, and it got back to me. You know, they said, you know, Jamie, and I thought, well, I, I, do, I don't have any problems. I don't. And, and I don't have a bathroom in my office, and I don't ask for one. I do now, but that's a different story. But that was back then. <laughs> but it's not because I have problems. That's a benign one. The ones that hurt are when I share something with someone and it's personal. And you experience this. And I say, hey, by the way, just if you could keep this between the two of us, that, that would really help me. And then I find out they didn't. <laughs> it happened to me just a week ago. I shared something a couple of years ago that was very sensitive uh, about me with one of our staff. And uh, and, and if you knew the situation, you'd say, yeah, that, that shouldn't get out. It wasn't gossiping at all. It was very personal to me. And I just found out last week that that, that was shared two years ago. And I, and I cringed a little bit. Again, it's not catastrophic in this case. But, but here's what I experienced. It hurt. <laughs> it hurt. I, I felt disrespected in my personhood. I, I felt a little bit betrayed in that relationship. I, I think it can be repaired, but, but it hurt. And then imagine... When that happens on a big level, as it has with some of you, you can now see why betrayal can be such a brutal thing and lead to a relationship falling apart. There's so many more examples. Let me give you a second example. Some of you are going, you got another one? Yeah, I got another one. The scriptures are full of them. Here's another example of betrayal according to the scripture, and that is broken promises. 
that we all make promises. But, but imagine what happens when you, when you break, especially a big, serious promise. I, I want you to think about it rationally. A promise is simply an assurance that you will do what you say. They're not complicated. A, a promise is, is an expectation that you give to another person that you will do what you said you will do, that you will keep you, your word. That's a promise. And so whether it's to stay faithful in a marriage or to not betray a trust or to pay back money that you owe or to not cheat, steal, and lie, there's so many examples that we all experience. It's a promise. Now, did you know this? The Bible says that we should keep our promises <laughs> and that when we don't, it's a betrayal. Look at how Numbers chapter 30 verse 2 says. It says, if a man vows a vow to the Lord and swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Jesus affirmed the same thing in the Beatitudes when he said, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And so the idea is, is that when you and I say something, our word is backed by our character. And when we vow or tell somebody we'll do something, that forms a promise and that we need to come through with this. And the point is that when we don't, now I'm not trying to be too hard on you, you be the judge. When we don't, it's an act of betrayal. <laughs> and again, I don't know how some of you think, you're thinking, well, yeah, but it's not really a big betrayal. Well, many times not. I mean, after the third service, I told my wife, Kim, I'll be home. I, I, I many times say to her, hey, I'll be home by one, you know, and, and, and say today I get home at 1.15. She could look at me and said, you said you'd be home at one. And I'd say, well, you're right. And technically speaking, I broke my promise. And technically speaking, that would be a betrayal. But I'm pretty sure she'd let that one go, right? And, and we experience that all the time throughout the day. But how about the, the, the big promises that we make within our business environments or, or, or with a dear friend or may I go here in our marriages? But one of the reasons that marital infidelity is so brutally painful is because we who are married stood at the altar and said, I will keep myself unto you all the days of my life till death do us part. What a beautiful vow that in thought, word, and deed, I saved myself for you. And again, I'm not trying to heap the guilt on you, but just be a man or be a woman about this. When we break that promise, you can see why that just very well might be tremendously hurtful to a marriage. And again, there's many other examples. And please don't hear me wrong. This is not to say that there can't be forgiveness or grace. You guys know me better than that. The Bible is a Bible, or Bible is a book filled with tremendous grace and teaching on how God can forgive any sin, save for the impardonable sin, which is the final rejection of God himself. Any other sin can be forgiven. And so there's tremendous grace to be found. But maybe now you can understand that even though God forgives you, even though you can reconcile with him, it's hard to reconcile some relationships. It's why they fall apart when we gave our word and went back on our word. And the first step for you and me that have done that is to call it what it is and own it. Too many people have been hurt by broken promises and it's why relationships tend to fall apart. 
So as we relate to Jesus today, you got gossip, it's a form of betrayal. You got broken promises, it's a form of betrayal. And there's plenty other examples that we don't need to go into today. Not accepting someone for who they are, not accepting them for how God made them to be. That's a form of betrayal. And, and then another form would be trying to force someone to be somebody they aren't. Or just standing up for them in their time of need. Some of you have experienced that. People who don't stand up for you when you need them. That's also a form of turning their back on you. And Jesus nails it here. Betrayal hurts. It's an act of rejection and unfaithfulness. And it's why relationships fall apart. Now, once we get this, once we clearly understand what betrayal is and all its various forms that occur today and why it leads to relational breakdown, the only question becomes, how do we handle it? What might Jesus show us that will help? And I'm gonna tell you right now, help he does. He's gonna show us right now some very powerful things about how you and I can find help and healing when we have experienced betrayal in our lives. But I want to prepare you something for something right now. What Jesus is about to do with us and this idea of betrayal is he's not going to give you three easy steps on how to restore the broken relationship. He's not going to do that. He's going to leave that for a self-help book or something like that. Or for the series we just did on Philemon, which is how to reconcile relationships. Watch this. What Jesus is going to do, and you're going to love this, is he's going to help you learn how to find strength to get through the betrayal in your relationship with God. He's gonna say, let's set apart, just for right now, the other person, because that will either work out or it won't work out. We'll get to that in a while. And he's gonna say, let me help center you on who God is and where he is in the midst of your betrayal so that you might have the strength to get through this. So with that said, here's the next thing that Jesus shares with us on how to deal with betrayal, and that is to realize that God is always in control, even of the bad stuff. I want you to think about this with me. That when we feel betrayed, the first thing God wants us to think is that he is in control, even in this dark night of the soul. And the challenge here is not to realize that God is in control. Most of you good Christians know that. It's just that here's what Christians do. We say God is in control when all the good stuff is happening. Have you ever noticed that? So stock market's up, isn't God good? You know, the church is, isn't God good? I didn't get COVID, isn't God good? And all these good things happen to kids are walking with God, isn't that God good? And you're right, God is good. When was the last time you said God is good when all the negative things happened? The reality is he is good then, and even more so, he's in complete control. And that's what Jesus is gonna show us. So look at what happens next in our, in our story. So G Judas is there, they got the clubs and the torches and the weapons, and they're handing Jesus over to the authorities. And here's what happens next, verse four. So Jesus, knowing all these things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore he again asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these go their way to fulfill the word which he spoke. Of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath. 
the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Now, I just gotta let you in on something here. I, uh, I've been encouraged to finish John, the Gospel of John, because we started going through this book, I know it's embarrassing, back in 2015. So I started the Gospel of John in 2015. I've been on and off with it. And, and Rustin and, and the ELT said to me recently, you gotta land the plane. We gotta finish this, this book. The problem is, is that I started this series by saying I didn't wanna rush it. I, I wanna just take my, my sweet time in going through it and, and look at all the intricacies and the ins and outs and I've delivered on that promise, haven't I? It's been six years since we've been in the Gospel of John. But I agree with them, it's time to land the plane, so by mid-May, Lord willing, we're gonna be done with the Gospel of John. Here's why that's important. I could do an entire four-week series on what is in these verses, and you would not be bored. Here's why, give me the next slide. What Jesus is saying here in these few verses when it comes to how he handled betrayal that is very relevant to you and me today is this. He's saying that there was an awareness that I had of everything going on around me. I had power oozing out of me that they knew nothing about. I had a grip on my followers and not one of them except the son of perdition is gonna be lost from my grip. And oh, the Father has a plan in all of this, and his plan cannot be thwarted. Wouldn't that be a great series for us to look at for four weeks on just those four things? But we're going to do it right now in about five minutes. Look back at the text here. It begins by saying, so Jesus knowing all the things that were coming upon him. Just pause in front of that. It goes all the way back to John chapter 6, verses 67 and 71, where Jesus predicted, he said, someday one of you is gonna betray me. And I even know who it is. And then all throughout the three years, Jesus said, one of you is gonna betray me, one of you is gonna betray me. And Jesus was spot on. And how did Jesus know that? Because he was God. He was God come in the flesh. Theologians call it omniscience or phonetically spelled omniscience. It simply means that he knows everything. And so Jesus was totally aware throughout all of this betrayal, who it was, why it was happening, and where this was going. And here's my point. He's aware of your situation too, amen? He's aware of how you feel and the betrayal that you've experienced and the relationship that's gone south, or if you're the one who has betrayed, he's aware of that. And he loves you, he's involved in your life, he cares for you, and none of this has caught him by surprise. He saw it all coming from the very foundation of the world. And that ought to comfort us just a little bit, don't you think? That God who loves us, Jesus who is our savior, is aware of all of this. And get this, he knows what you're gonna do next, even though you don't. And he still loves you. There's an awareness going on here that you can't escape. And then secondly, notice the power oozing out of Jesus here. I love this little scene here. Jesus says, whom do you seek? Or yeah, he says, whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. Isn't that an interesting way to address Jesus? Jesus the Nazarene. They were basically saying, you're nothing special. You're just some kid from Nazareth. We're seeking Jesus the Nazarene. It's a way to try to diminish his deity down to humanity. And so he says to them, I am he. And then they mention Judas being there, and John reiterates, he said, I am he. And then this, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, what do you think that's about? You can't make this stuff up. The more liberal-minded scholars who don't like to see miracles and healings and the deity of Jesus in the gospel, they exist. I was reading some of them this week. <laughs> they honestly say, 
what happened was is that these Roman leaders uh, stepped back and tripped and fell to the ground. That's what they say. The, 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 these profound, educated academicians say what's happening here is that they tripped. Now, you and I aren't academicians, but do you think that's what's going on here, yes or no? No. There's something much more profound going on here. Let me show you that I think carries much more weight. When they said, whom do you seek? And, and they said, Jesus the Nazarene. When Jesus said, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. He says, I am he. And then John repeats it here saying, hey, he said, I am he. And then when the interplay goes again a third time, he says, I am he. Here's what's really rich about that. The translators here, and they do this in all the translations, added the word he. The phrase in the Greek is a phrase some of you are aware of because we've talked about it before. It's the Greek phrase, ego eimi, which literally translated simply means I am. Ego eimi, I am. It's the same phrase used in John chapter 8, verse 58 that was a pivotal phrase in the gospel when the Pharisees were arguing with Jesus about his identity. And Jesus said this, he said, before Abraham was, I am, ego eimi. And it's Jesus' claim to deity. It's his claim to preexistence. He's referring back to the book of Exodus where it's even a name of God where when Moses was all worried about Pharaoh and, and, and God said, tell Pharaoh that I am is the one who sent you. It's a powerful phrase used three times here in John 18. So here's what the more right-thinking Bible experts suggest. That when Jesus says, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. He says, I am, ego of me. And then they fall back onto the ground. So which is more likely, that they tripped or that there was a statement of divine power that threw them back on their heels? Obviously, I think it's the latter. And here's the point. That same divine power in the midst of betrayal is available to you. The Holy Spirit lives in you Jesus loves you. He is with you always to the very end of the age. And even though betrayal hurts, even though your world is rocked, even though a relationship has fallen apart, he says, come to me. I got power for you to persevere. I got power for you to feel the love of God. I am the one in your life. So he says, I'm aware of everything. I got power for you. And then a bit more quickly, he has you in his grip. That's what this means here, is that Jesus answered and said, I told you, I am. So if you seek me, let these go their way. That's referring to the other disciples. Just let them go to fulfill the word of those you have given me, Father. I lost not one. It reminded me of John 10, verses 28 through 30, where Jesus says about you and me, that my sheep hear my voice and they follow me, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. <laughs> so he's got you in his grip Though you've been hurt on a human relational level, God is still with you. Jesus is with you. He's got you held tight. And then lastly, verse 11, it says, so Jesus said to Peter, put the sword in the sheath. We'll get to that in a minute. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Again, this could be a whole sermon. That, 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 that cup is so rich in the Old Testament. It's a cup of suffering, a cup of wrath talked about by Isaiah, Jeremiah, the psalmists. And it's a cup that was reserved for Israel in their time of need. But God kept saying to Israel, I got a plan for you. I got a plan. Hang in there. Because even though you're hurting and even though you're a sinful mess, I have a plan and nothing can stop my plan. 
And the point is that's true for you. That even in your suffering, God has a plan for you. Hang in there, Christian. And so the point is, is that when Jesus was betrayed, he had divine awareness, he had divine power, he had divine protection, and he had the Father's plan on his side. And so do you. And though this doesn't take away all the hurt, you still feel betrayed. It does help and heal over time. So betrayal hurts. It's a rejection and an unfaithfulness that we all experience at time. But God is in control. You need to lean on that. There's an awareness, a power, a grip, and a plan that you can access if you choose to. And then one final thing. We've got just about five minutes left till the communion table. But this is really important because a lot of Christians go awry here. One final thing the story teaches us, and that is that revenge on our part is not part of God's plan. Revenge, at least stemming from us who have felt betrayed toward the one who betrayed us, is never a part of God's plan. How do we know this? Look at how this scene wraps up. It says, Simon Peter then, having a sword, <laughs> whoever said the Bible was boring, by the way, right? Like, this is action stuff. Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear, gross, and the slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath, put it away. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Wow. So Peter, who we know is impetuous, we're gonna learn more about him next week as Kevin teaches us on denial. Peter is saying, there's no way that you're gonna do that to my savior. There's no way you're gonna betray him. And he takes the, the sword out and he probably went after Judas, who knows, but he, he cuts the, the, the servant's ear off here. And, and what is Jesus' response? This is really rich for you and me today. Put it away. Put your sword of revenge away. Why? Because the Father has a plan and you're not going to disrupt it. And then you're going to have to come back for week four of this series because in week four we're going to look at verse 36 where Jesus expounds on this when he's with Pilate and he says these famous words. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. And as it is, my, my followers do not fight. So there's two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of the world and then the kingdom of God. You and I, as his followers, are firmly planted in the kingdom of God. And because of that, we trust him when bad things happen. We don't get back at those who have hurt us. Last week, I, I wrapped up with a verse that many of you loved. It was a Romans 12, verse 18. And uh, it, it, it's a great verse. It says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And you guys are like, oh, I love that verse. Let's look at the next verse, because look at what the next verse says. It's kind of applicable today. Romans 12, 19 says, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, because it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. Let me ask you, do you like this verse too? <laughs> I, I hope you do. Because here's the point, and God knows best. You and I think revenge will feel good. We think it feels good to get back at that person who hurt us so bad. What God knows is that it only further poisons your soul. That's what he says. Like hanging on to unforgiveness it feels so good because you're hanging on to that, that desire you have to get back. But it only hurts you at the end of the day. It hurts them too. But it really hurts you as now you're not free 
to completely find your satisfaction and your joy in Jesus because you're hanging on over here. And and the whole point of Jesus' modeling for us here is to say, get your sights off of this. If you can repair the relationship, great. If you can't, well, maybe you can't. But you can find healing and hope and solace and comfort and strength and even joy in me. That's why he says, let's focus on you and God here. Let's focus on his awareness, his power, his grip, and his plan. Because if you can focus on that, you can get through this and you can become the better person that God wants you to be. What a great day to go to the communion table, amen? What a great day for us to celebrate this Jesus whom we love and who teaches us so much and even to give thought to our own lives and how we can trust him more. Why don't you guys bow with me and let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, this wonderful chapter in the Bible that many, many people do a drive-by with. They just say, yeah, 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 Jesus is arrested, tried and crucified and, and what's next? Let's get on to the resurrection. But Lord, we know better. There's a richness here and there's a profundity here for our lives today as we learn from Jesus how to handle very, very difficult relational journeys when they tend to go south. And Father, we've looked at the toughest one today and I pray for any of us here who are just still wincing from a recent relational rift that God, you might draw close to us and remind us, God, that you saw all this coming, that your power is available, that your grip is still on us and that your plan is unthwarted and that as we trust you, joy will certainly come in the morning. And I pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name and we all say together, amen.